talked EVs. Now let's talk some energy and welcome in Ben Cook, Portfolio Manager, Hennessy Energy Transition Fund. Hey there, Ben. So good to have you. Good morning. Good to be with you. So, Ben, we're seeing oil down this morning 1.8%, but up sharply on the week, trading around 113 right now. Although, based on some of the forecasts we were talking about with Ben, 147, 150, 113 could technically be cheap. How high does oil go? Yeah, I think um, in an environment where spare capacity is diminishing, uh, pre-pandemic, we were uh, 100 million barrels a day in terms of demand. We're there now. You know, the prospect of embargoes and sanctions on Russia, that implies another million or two million barrels a day off the market. And uh, in that environment, we see spare capacity at almost zero. And so uh, price becomes a fun function of where demand begins to fall off. And I think um, you look with the, the amount of money floating around the, the global monetary system today, it's easy to see uh, crude oil prices much higher than where they are today. We, we wouldn't be surprised to see oil at $150 range as we proceed through the, uh, this year into next. So $100 a barrel of oil, whether it's 112, 150, is here to stay for a while. Yeah, we think so. You know, the, the industry has undergone, let's say a, a five to seven year period of underinvestment. And so capacity to produce oil has, has diminished materially. And we're, our global economy continues to improve on the backside of the pandemic. And again, the prospect of losses of, of supply from places like Russia mean that we're going to need additional supplies from elsewhere. And the only way that we're going to attract additional ca uh, capacity into the marketplace is, is through higher prices that will invite both capital, labor, equipment, et cetera, uh, back into the marketplace to, to build that capacity to keep uh, production volume stable, uh, if not growing. So, uh, yes, we do believe oil prices, higher oil prices are here to stay for some time. So we know the energy trade has been a lucrative one for many people so far this year. I think the question is, is it too late to get in now if you haven't already gotten in? Uh, what do you think? Yeah, we think there's still opportunity to make money across the traditional hydrocarbon energy value chain. When you think about the prospect of higher prices, as we just discussed, the, the need for higher prices to attract the capital, uh, the, uh, the people, the labor, the equipment, et cetera, uh, you know, ultimately, that will that will mean uh, more cash in the industry. Uh, that'll mean uh, better uh, financial results for many of the companies. And we think, uh, given where the valuations are, the stocks today, there's there's plenty of upside left across across much of the sector. So your fund, the Hen Hennessy Energy Transition Fund, ticker HNRGX, up 35 percent year to date. So really, a, very much outperforming the broader market. Uh, talk to me about some of the specific names, though, you like in this space. Yeah, no, that's a great question. As part of our repeatable investment process in managing the energy transition fund, we, we look for the most attractive risk-reward opportunity across both the traditional hydrocarbon energy value chain as well as the renewable energy value chain. And what we're seeing today is investment merit that, to us, signals more upside uh, and less downside, for that matter, in the traditional hydrocarbon energy names. Um, as a matter of practice, we look for companies that have high-quality assets. Uh, we're looking for uh, improving uh, balance sheets, the reduction of debt, and the, uh, the increase in uh, delivery of shareholder return in the form of uh, dividends and share purchases. And we're also looking for uh, management teams, uh, C-level executives that have demonstrated the capability of, of operating successfully in both good times and bad. 
And so in the environment today, we see, uh, you know, a number of ways to win. Um, look, you know, the upstream sector, the exploration and production subsector here in the United States offers a number of companies that are very attractive from an investment standpoint. And one of our top holdings there is EOG Resources. EOG has very attractive assets in the Delaware Basin, uh, also in the Eagleford Shale, where both areas that we'll see growth this year. And uh, this company has demonstrated itself to uh, not just uh, find attractive shale positions, but deliver on, on uh, improved development results from those plays, uh, optimizing production and capturing efficiencies, which have translated to very good uh, shareholder returns. Uh, the company has paid special dividends, and we anticipate continued share repurchases from EOG. So that's a, that's a name that we like. Uh, you know, I, I would say there's, there's also clearly what's happening in, in Russia and Ukraine, the Russian incursion there, is that there's a need to tap into what the U.S. can offer the world in terms of cheap, abundant, uh, you know, low-cost natural gas, and we see LNG as a as a as a winning way to benefit from what's happening in in uh, in Ukraine and Western Europe today. We do like Chenier Energy. It's a name that's a it's been in our portfolio for quite some time. You know, we um, as a as a country will continue to grow our exports of liquefied natural gas and LNG as the largest uh, exporter of of natural gas here in the U.S. They do have some additional projects to bring on some capacity here by 2025 to allow them to continue to benefit from we, what we see as a very strong LNG pricing environment over the next several years. Um, so those are those are two of the names that we feature in the portfolio that we think are well positioned to benefit from the tailwinds we're seeing in the marketplace today. You know, I'm looking at these though, and you did say there's room to run, but both EOG up down today, but up 38% on the year. Uh, LNG up uh, 2% today, up 41%. That's ticker symbol LNG. Um, so, but you're, so you'd be comfortable getting in at these levels, just confirming. <laughs> yes, for sure. You know, that look, they've run, these stocks have done very, very well. But the fundamental environment for hydrocarbon energy is as strong as it's been for maybe the last seven, eight years. And I think when you consider the fact that many of these companies are run in a more capital disciplined manner, uh, these management teams have, have learned that ramping spending in a pro-cyclical manner ultimately uh, ends in, in trouble with commodity prices that crash. Uh, these companies have learned their lessons over the last several cycles, and they now are acting in a way that's more shareholder friendly. Balance sheets are far better uh, positioned. Uh, companies are re reallocating capital rather than uh, for growth uh, they're reallocating capital towards share repurchases and, and uh, dividends. And, uh, and again, you know, valuation is very attractive. I think if you look at the valuation of the upstream sector here in the United States, you know, the implied commodity price in the equity values today is roughly $65 uh, per barrel WTI oil and about uh, 285 uh, per MCF NYMEX Henry Hub natural gas. So with those prices effectively embedded in the equities today, and the commodity prices on the marketplace, you know, let's call it oil 115, the 12-month strip is uh, 85, something like that. Um, you know, there's still a lot of upside potential if we're going to average 80, $85 over the next uh, 12 months in oil and much higher pricing with natural gas, given the tightness we see there. We, we see a lot more upside in these uh, sticking with natural gas, we, we've talked a lot about Europe's dependence on Russia for natural gas, especially Germany. Now Russia coming, Putin coming out and demanding that unfriendly countries 
pay for R Russian natural gas in rubles. Uh, is there really anything that can be done in terms of that dependence at this point? I know there's longer term plans to become less dependent, but uh, in the near term, are, is Europe still going to need Russia's natural gas and have to pay for it in rubles? Yeah, on a short-term basis, it's hard to see, uh, you know, a silver bullet to the problem that, that Europe is facing in terms of their dependency on Russian gas. You know, they import roughly 40% of their natural gas needs from Russia. And so to flip a switch and expect that you can just redirect flows of LNG from other customers, such as Southeast Asian customers, to Europe, it's a tall order. Um, it's, an, it's, an, it's an important goal to have, and I think ultimately it can be done but not in the near term. Uh, the EU has recently talked about uh, reducing dependency by two, uh, Russian dependency natural gas by two thirds by the end of this year, um, using a, a variety of resourcing uh, gas from uh, other areas, uh, ramping of renewables, uh, even voluntary demand restrictions. These are all difficult, difficult economic decisions to make and lifestyle changes that will be required for consumers in Western Europe. And it's hard to see how that can happen easily overnight. I think what it will what it will mean is that natural gas prices will remain elevated as Europe continues to struggle to find alternatives to meet their natural gas needs. And we see the United States continuing to grow into that need. We see uh, LNG export capacity beginning to uh, or continuing to grow uh, over the next several years. And we see uh, the U.S. filling uh, the gap, which ultimately I think will be a big part of the solution to Western Europe's dependency on Russian gas. Really appreciate that outlook and all of your insights. Ben Cook, Portfolio Manager, Hennessy Energy Transition Fund. Thanks so much. You bet. Good to be with you.